1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think
0: find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: welcome back to the messy truth conversations on photography today i'm chatting to philip montgomery philip is known for both his visual language which does this unique dance between documentary and fine art aesthetics and his ability to capture complex stories with rigour and elegance. As the COVID-19 pandemic took hold, Philip was asked to be on an open-ended assignment for the New York Times, working on the coverage in New York which was fastly becoming the epicentre of the outbreak. He spent two months visually mapping the deeply affected city from restaurant owners forced into uncertainty to makeshift testing centres. Yet the critical story really lay behind the doors of the public hospital system. His photographs are urgent, overwhelming, and bear witness to the enormity of the situation. I'm interested to talk to him about his process, how he approached and managed the inherent risk and pressure while documenting perhaps one of the most important stories of our lifetime. Documentary work is so rife for tension and there's a real situational awareness that is required by a photographer navigating those spaces and I wondered how you would go about developing your relationships with your subjects and, and how you know when to kind of push in and when to pull back when you're working.
0: Hmm. Yeah I, it's, it's really my favorite part of doing the work. I'm, I'm an extrovert I'm an only child as well, Um, and I think me being an only child, I had such a fascination with the other, you know, and that really, it's really what excites me about photography, maybe perhaps more so than the actual creative process. It's more these incredible interactions that you have every day. And I, I'm almost more interested in that sort of social dance. And so when I arrive on scene or I introduce myself to, you know, f- folks that I'm photographing, whether that's planned or, you know, spontaneous, my, I, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, getting a finger to the pulse of how they're feeling and, and really reading the room and, and how it feels. And, you know, each shoot is a learning process and I take a lot of pride on learning how I can read that social pulse. And it's, it's been incredibly helpful in, in my work. And at times when I'm photographing situations that require a gentle touch and, you know, social grace, um, that sort of delivery and understanding has come through me really trying to pay attention to that every time I'm on a shoot whether that be a, you know, a celebrity shoot or, you know, photographing in an ICU during COVID. They all require the same sort of dance of reading the room. If it's a crew on the set of a bigger, you know, editorial shoot, you're having to read, you know, how your assistants are feeling or how the... Talents management is feeling, and it's the same sort of idea with, you know, and that translates over to documentary work. But it, in fact, it's been reversed. You know, I learned those skills through documentary work, and it's something that you still have to apply to other parts of photography.
1: It takes a lot of emotional intelligence to be a photographer moving in these spaces because you're not only navigating your own intentions with the work and the pictures that you're trying to make, but you're also having to take on board and respond to the emotions of the people around you, whether, like you said, whether that's on a big shoot for a magazine or whether that's in a high-pressure environment somewhere out in the world. And there's so much photographers have to absorb in that. And I don't think people talk about that that often. But really to run a set well and to achieve what you want to achieve while keeping everybody together, it just is such a, a huge mental juggle, I think.
0: Totally. And some are way easier than others. And I think every photographer and artist who, you know, operates in that space has their own way. You know, I've definitely been baffled when I've seen either firsthand or through some form of interview or documentary film how other photographers work. And it seems to me totally awkward and crass. And, you know, not sometimes borderline rude, but you just sort of see there's not sort of one way to it, but I, I have my own, I have my own way. And it's, you know, I really try to lead with empathy and also having a really clear line of dialogue. And I felt that that is so much more of an easier tactic for me when when making these bodies of work, is really just in engaging my subjects, and my, my friends and these amazing people that I, that I come across in my work very clearly and straight. And even if I, you know, really inherently disagree with them, when I've had, you know, shoots that involve men and women who are parts of the far right or, you know, white supremacists, you can still deliver and have conversations that are clear in the way that you would with other subjects. I've just found that it's really, really helpful.
1: So much of it is about communication, whether that is even non-verbal communication. There's so much in those relationships because you're, you're with people uh, often quite an intense time, even on like a big celebrity shoot. Most of the time, those celebrities are really uncomfortable. They don't want to be there. They don't want 50 people fussing over them. They just want to, you know, go and work on their craft like everybody does. Mm-hmm. Having longevity in the industry is about these nuances in, in terms of process and how you work and how you connect with people.
0: Yeah, and I will add to it. I mean, in the beginning of this, I had learned by watch- watching a lot of the writers that I would work with, but then I realized that that it just that wasn't a feasible model to learn from. Their their footprint is really small. They can kind of slip into the background with a with a notepad and blend in. Whereas my process and my way of photographing, it's not subtle at all. It's really loud and not loud in the sense of offensive it's just that you can't really miss us and I say you know I often work with an assistant and we often use light I'm a bit taller and I'm pretty social (laughs) so it's not this sort of romantic dance that you would imagine or that I imagined some of the you know my heroes within the practice sort of executing like Eugene Richards or James knockway where they were these, you know, quiet, front-facing, sensitive in quotations men. But for me, it's it, I just have to have these conversations right off the bat of like, hey, this is what we're doing, this is what we're interested in, and this is the process. I know this is really not exactly fun, but let's let's try to just you know let's just try to have some time together here and have some laughs if it does get awkward especially when you're working in living rooms of, you know, of families who you know <laughs> to them and they're just like what what who are these who are these people in our house and what's going on here. <laughs>
1: hmm. I really wanted to talk to you about your storytelling actually because one of the things that I really admire about your approach is that you're so great at making sure that you're kind of covering the macro and the micro in terms of getting those rich individual nuanced details, but also ensuring that you're telling a larger story. And I wondered, you know, is that something you're cognizant of when you're shooting or are you more about just kind of collecting as much information as possible and that kind of emerges when you're editing?
0: Yeah, I would say it's the latter. I tend to work quickly, and 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 fast, I'd say. I'm I'm, I'm not shooting slow when I'm working on on a documentary shoot. I'm I'm really just trying to grab as much information as I possibly can. I'm not spraying per se, but you know, I'm I'm really trying to cover, check all my boxes, especially when it's a, a, a piece of commissioned work, which it often is, and it, it it mostly is. And I really try to think about, be cognizant of if I've read a draft too. really be thinking about, okay, you know, the the writer mentions this and this could be really helpful to the reader in what this exactly looks like. So let's let's grab that and also really think about how the designers at the magazine are going to what material they're going to have to work with when they're piecing the spread or the digital presentation together. And how how work is going to play horizontally or vertically on the page, and so I know that sounds a little bit technical, but it is going through my mind when I'm when I'm working a little bit of like, okay, wh- how is this going to land, and how's it going to play, and then also um, I'm even more so I am I am focusing on the the subtleties in in what our subject matter is is doing and what. Kind of stick out to me and is poignant that maybe you know no one else saw that or that can only really be communicated through photography. But I would to to answer your question more direct, Jim, I, I would say that that part of it comes out in the editing process. That's a really precious time in my process, and that's really when I start to have fun. True, true fun. There's two bits of fun for me on the shoot, and Maybe fun is the wrong word, but maybe I, I have a, a sliver of fulfillment and enjoyment. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. It's my interactions with the subject. It's number one. And then number two happens in that editing portion of, of the process. I really don't love taking the pictures. I know that's, that sounds weird, but that moment when I'm actively engaging the camera, it's not really that fun to me. It's actually kind of stressful. My my moment of Zen is is when I have the material to work with, and then we can really chop it up and carve it up and start to create something cohesive.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. I'm not surprised to hear you say that it's stressful. I mean, it's it certainly is. In in my experience, in most situations, not even when you're following a news story or you know you're doing an, an important piece of documentary work, I find that that tension's there in like every type of shoe i think it's you know as we were kind of touching on before there's just so much emotional mental and physical labor that goes into photography and there's so much pressure on a shoot right you've got to get it right often it's you've got one chance you don't want to miss anything in any context and and that that is a large weight to carry on your shoulders, for sure. I was interested then, you you mentioned the reader, and I know a big thing for you is this kind of ethos you have around how your work exists to serve the reader and kind of the responsibility that goes along with that. And I wondered how much you think about your audience.
0: The reader is paramount for me. It's, It's who I consider us who do this type of work to serve largely. And that's very much, you know, that statement is... Really within the editorial context, whether you be whether you're working for a newspaper, you're working for a documentary, or you're working for a magazine, and your the you know the idea of the magazine or the paper is to deliver information to the reader. That's where I I really hold that that idea as you know top priority. And so for me on these shoots, on a lot of these shoots, I realize how privileged and lucky I am to be the one who gets to author these, these moments about the scene. And I, I find the responsibility of doing that to be really incredible. So for me, and, and the person I have in mind when I'm making the work is the reader, what is important to communicate to them about this moment? and, and how can I, how can I do that to the you know to the fullest? I I really value it.
1: And you've got such a strong identity as a photographer. I know we've talked a little about this before, but you're really doing this dance between documentary and fine art aesthetics. And it's one of both kind of rigor and elegance. And I'd love to hear about the evolution of your visual language and where you've drawn influence from and how your aesthetic kind of emerged.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I i- pre- well, I appreciate that that's really it's really kind of you to say. I really started to you know I'm trying to think back. I think I saw this this visual ge- and i'm not i want i want to just lead by saying i don't think i've I've solved anything right mm-hmm. I don't think I've figured anything out, but i what i what I did find a little bit exhausting after a while is the work that I really came up on loving in ingesting was photojournalism with a capital p right it was immediate it was raw it was like be- it was beautifully composed but after years of ingesting it and looking at it and learning from it i found at times it was a little bit limiting and i started to become really interested in how one might be able to push that a little bit further, how we could effectively have our viewers stay on the photo a little bit longer. And at this, when I started to really be thinking about this, this is when you know Instagram first started to come onto scene. And, you know, I was thinking about it before, but suddenly Instagram drops, Tumblr drops. And I I really start to notice, myself included, everyone's visual vernacular and their visual understanding just in in at a baseline started to really increase. Everyone had a really has a bit of a more sophisticated understanding of what makes a visual image. And I realized that, you know, within the documentary practice, a lot of what I was seeing was a little bit stuck in an old way of of visualizing it, right? And I sort of became interested in this idea of cross-pollinating, of looking at the practices of other photographers and the way that they would photograph and how I could potentially incorporate that visual style into a strictly documentary practice. And it, it sort of unlocked this idea for me of, you know, how can we look at these, these traditional stories that we're, we're telling, but give it a kick that will really hold a reader on the pictures longer and also have a little bit more of a nuanced way of, of visualizing the scene. And so that was sort of a big moment for me when i when I realized you know how I could do that and like i said i don't I don't think I have it figured out, and I don't know <laughs> you know i'm not I'm not sure how special what I'm doing is, but it does it does just uh, and and the way that I interact with my work it's really it's really helped me every time I work on these stories it's it's been a big motivator um how we can bring a different picture to the reader within that space.
1: Yeah, I think it's particularly fascinating with you because I know how much you respect and value the traditional code of photojournalism.
0: There have been many who have come before me and also who are, you know, colleagues now who who I think are really doing... A, are in a similar headspace. Um, but it is it is something I just I really think that our 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 current reader our current you know um, audience is a lot more visually sophisticated. I think they they and they really demand from us a better picture, truly. And I I have that in mind, and I, I really always want to be. Sort of raising the bar, and I, I trust me, I've had these kind of amazing moments with with the craft and the medium, where I've been poring over fashion and looking at fashion work. And what makes it so special to me is, you know, say what you will about what it's doing and its intention, yada yada, right? Their job, for the most part, is to sell a product. And they sell that product by making really, at, when done right, making really delicious pictures. And I, when I, when I think about that, I go, well, what can we do? What can I do in my space to make really delicious photography of and sell the product of the story? And, and I, and if that, if those two ideas are are married. And we can communicate more effectively to our audience. Then, what a what an exciting what an exciting medium and an exciting juncture in in photography. And yeah, I'm really I am really interested in that in that cross pollination.
1: There's a pressure on all visual work, I think, to rise to the fact that as humans, we're much more visually literate than we ever have before, thanks to all these different tools and way we, ways we have of communicating. But also I think there's an element of attention that comes to this in that so many things in our lives are, are shouting for our attention, they're screaming for our attention. Mm-hmm. And that that therefore means that everybody needs to be even more powerful, even more dramatic to capture the attention and the gaze and the focus of the reader. There's a little bit of that mixed in as well, I think. You know, it's harder and harder to keep magazines and newspapers open for this very reason. Yeah. Um, because people just, you know, fall into the deep scroll and and that's that. But I think, yeah, it's a multifaceted issue. I'd love to um, talk about your book project for a little bit because that's kind of a collection of some of your commissioned and personal work that you've been shooting over the last seven years. And it's an examination from what you've told me of kind of this fractured American experience that covers everything from addiction to income equality and climate change. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the origin of the work and maybe the question or questions that the project seeks to
0: explore. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. I started to see the work as a book more recently but for a long time i had just been sort of chugging along and and making the work that i do and i was really sort of focused on what's happening next week or next month and you know had sort of had some anxiety around you know (laughs) Largely not having some grand idea, right? A lot of the f- my favorite photographers in the world, I, I, what I love about them are they're more authors, I think, than they are sort of reactionary photographers, right? But whether that be, you know, the Alex Souths of the world or the Terrence Simons of the world, right? Um, but for me, I, my work is really different. But when I started to kind of take a look back at the work I've been making over the years... And also, looking at the work against the backdrop of Trump's presidency, I really started to see this sort of theme. And when I was pulling back the layers, I really started to realize that I had almost largely accidentally had been creating this body of work that really was looking at a country that was not well. And I started looking at starting to see these themes of, you know, the political and cultural divisions that had, you know, largely given rise to the presidency of Trump in the wake of Obama. And so as soon as I saw this common thread, I realized this was, you know, something I I needed to go in on more and really start authoring. And so you know, the last, you know, three to four years of uh, of the Trump presidency I've been grinding away and you know in, in a similar in a similar fashion of you know using the commissioned work to almost guide a little bit of the themes, but also really keeping an eye out when I'm lucky and privileged enough to be on those commissions. For the subtleties that you that you mentioned earlier, what else about this scene speaks to the larger hypothesis that I'm making? And that's that's sort of what I'm looking at now, and looking at the country's nostalgic fiction of greatness, and kind of building this case around what the country is. And now, you know, it's it's we have this. We're, you and I are having this conversation now, and and the and you know after a really wild month and obviously a insane year in, in the country that i am we're watching the country implode in a way that i i you know i may have i may have expected but i you know i didn't really want to see happen right yeah and so now the work is it's it's taking on this new this new sense of urgency in a way that i perhaps am maybe struggling to keep up on and figure out how to, to author it, you know. And so, yeah, it's 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 an amazing time, but at the same time, it's it's incredibly scary and a little bit and deeply embarrassing in certain regards, you know, as an American.
1: I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited about it. But it's interesting that you're kind of working on issues that are continually shifting in real time its effect on picture making is just so deeply profound in so many different ways and this project that you're working on being a great example you're listening to the messy truth conversations on photography As the pandemic took hold, you were asked to be on an open-ended assignment for the New York Times, working on coverage in New York, which at that time was fastly becoming the epicentre of the outbreak. And as part of that coverage, I think you covered seven hospitals in six days at the peak of the virus. And I wondered how you prepared sort of psychologically for that assignment and what it was like going into that first hospital on the first day.
0: Yeah, I think... Psychologically, what you have to understand about that time within New York is everything was happening so fast. And the the whole city in the moment here in New York was riddled with uncertainty. Um, So I hadn't, to say that there was a way that I prepared myself maybe emotionally to go in there, um, you know, would be misleading. I think I had been in riding a wave in some respects. Week after week, I had been working on stories that followed the arc of when the pandemic started to really take hold here in New York. And it started with a shoot that looked at, you know, the crash of the stock market and then various structures and systems within New York shutting down, whether that be the airports or the restaurant industry and the city sort of turning off, which was profound and horrifying. And this sort of, you know, you were were waiting for the other shoe to drop, but you didn't know what that would look like. It reminded me of the lead up to... Uh, Hurricane Sandy, when it when it devastated New York, there was this sort of moment during that time that I was driving around the city and it was completely empty and we were just all waiting to take the hit. So we, you know, as you said, you know, Kathy Ryan, the magazine's director of photography, had reached out and sort of introduced the idea of doing a sort of an open-ended assignment to to start working on you know story for story but our our objective the entire time really was to look at the toll this was taking in the hospitals and to really work on a frontline piece about the hospitals and and as soon as we got in there we, we really realized that that was the only story within New York at the time was what was going on within the public hospitals and I didn't really have a way to prepare for it emotionally. It 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 was almost, you know, I, I I was thinking back on it now. I I was sort of curious as to how bad it was within that space. It was sort of this invisible line where you knew inside that space, and you were you know you were hearing reports, but we hadn't quite seen any photography, or I had no understanding of what COVID nineteen does to the body, and so. I had no way to sort of prepare for it and have an understanding of it. I knew it was respiratory, I knew that it involved, you know, that if 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 things took a turn for the worse, that you would be put on a ventilator, and but beyond that, what what I had to prepare for, I was I wasn't too sure of. So that was interesting.
1: And what was it like that first day when you walked in?
0: It was a tidal wave a little bit. It was a mixed bag. Uh, It was a little bit it was traumatizing in certain respects traumatizing in the sense that it was terrifying to see the sheer volume of patients who were in the hospitals Um, I was just sort of overwhelmed by how many people were in these these ERs and these ICUs it was stacked you always sort of imagine hospitals to be this really organized system and they and they are for the most part but then you'd imagine that there'd be a curtain separating you from another person but you know the first hospital that i went into and when i took a walk through the emergency department the ED the nature of where the curve was and the amount of cases that were that were in New York at the time, that emergency department was stacked and, and absolutely packed, completely overwhelmed. And it wasn't necessarily the fault of the hospital. It was just, they were like many other hospitals across the city, just completely overwhelmed. And there were monitors beeping. There was a bustle amongst the staff. Everyone was calm, but there was this baseline chaos in the mood. Um, and it was, it was a lot. Um, it was a lot to take. It was fear. You know, I, it was, I really, I really felt fear, fear for what was coming. If that, and I saw, I had this sort of moment of, if this is, if we're the first to be experiencing this, I'm totally scared for the rest of the country. Um, and also now as I sit here and talk to you and, you know, things are, Arguably, like completely different from when they were. I am. I am really scared of a second wave, um, and which is no doubt going to, going to hit us here in New York again.
1: The decision made ahead of you guys entering the hospital was that you'd observe the strict privacy laws and not photograph any patients while you were there, and kind of really focus your gaze on the health workers and. Just thinking about that, it must have been so tough photographically because obviously the nature of health workers is that they're always in such close proximity with their patients. It must have been really tough to isolate them.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was, we were working under a really strict set of rules. And it was understandable, but it was very frustrating. You know, it was a moment where. I felt my responsibility was, you know, I can, I, can, I can say this and preach this idea, but sometimes you don't feel the urgency of it, you know, to communicate that scene as best as you can to the reader. Like, that's not as urgent when you're perhaps working on a story on, uh, you know, uh, gentrification in some town in the Midwest or something, right? But I think for a hospital where there's, you know, an overwhelming amount of COVID patients who are all in really, really bad shape, and there's an American conversation around that's, that's challenging the legitimacy of, you know, this virus and is it really that dangerous? Do I really need to wear a mask? It was sort of a moment that was excruciatingly painful for me that I couldn't actually photograph that scene in its entirety and it made sense you know I often thought about what how I would feel if it was my father or mother laying there and how I would feel if I were to see them in the pages of a magazine by a photographer by another photographer and so you know it, it made me stomach that idea a little bit more where you know I was like okay But it made our job really tough and conveying the urgency of the crisis. And, you know, a lot of, it wasn't, but I did realize that there was an opportunity to tell another story. And the other story was by, if we don't flatten the curve, if we're not cautious in the way that we are in our daily lives in the era of COVID, and infections begin to go up, we're gonna put a massive strain on a system that's stretched really thin, and that's the healthcare system, especially within the United States. And so for me, I sort of had a aha moment of, okay, there actually is a way to make this work and look at these sort of frontline heroes and, and as best as I can, Humanize them, show what they're doing, which is focused and unwavering and beautiful, but also show that if we aren't careful, that these very heroes are going to be way in over their heads. And there are then at the time they were completely stretched in. You know, a lot of the nurses and the doctors I would speak to would, you know, have tears in their eyes as they were talking to me just about normal sort of things, but they were so exhausted. And so for me, there was a there was an opportunity to tell this this other story um, that was that was equally as important. But you know, it was it was an edited version of what I was seeing, just given the parameters that we had to work with in the law and hospital policy.
1: Yeah, I wanted to talk as well about the parameters of PPE because obviously photography is such a physical endeavour and this was obviously a dangerous assignment in that there was a health risk for you and your assistant tray. But what was that like trying to navigate your body and your camera in full PPE? And, and how did that impact the way you shoot?
0: It was it was really tricky. And, you know, we we just didn't, and we still don't, i wouldn't do anything different now i look back at it and certain um procedures that my assistant trey and i would go through in order to keep ourselves safe and you know and you know at the time trey's partner was and she still was still living at the space that he was and so you know we were being really careful as to not infect her when we would you know, come back to our respective departments. Um, So I look back on that time and some of the PPE procedures that we did felt ridiculous, but we just have such little information as to how the virus spreads. And so, you know, working in that environment, it felt, everything felt radioactive. And it felt incredibly dangerous to move. You know, I'd be photographing and I'd feel a lens pouch rub up against a bed. And I would suddenly flag that in my mind as, okay, that bag is now radioactive and it has to be disinfected. And I don't know, there was just all of these sort of moments that you'd flag or, you know, there were times in... A few of the ERs were, you know, someone was coughing right on me. And it was sort of this terrifying moment of like, oh, my God, that that was it. That's the one that got me. And, you know, making sure, you know, I, we went in there with a face shield in order to, you know, protect our faces from the airborne droplets. And I could never physically look through the camera. Um, so a lot of the work was either, you know, photographing with um live mode on the back of the camera like you like you would with an iphone which you know is not it's it's really tricky for me still and then there were times that i would just get so frustrated that i couldn't look through the camera that i would just ditch the mask and just kind of go not the not the the face mask but an eye mask um because the scene was just too too visually rich and important for me to be slacking on you know so there was there were a lot of at times there were a lot of risks that were taken and um luckily I, we, we came out of it safely and you know neither of us caught covid and um you know ppe works if you if you do it right and but it was a it was an interesting dance and um yeah i just feel very lucky that we we got out of that
1: yeah for sure you shared with me previously that you know, a big part of that work was you entrusting the healthcare workers to lead you to the stories in many ways. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that process.
0: Sure, sure. It's 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 a question that I ask often. I think of a lot of a lot of people that I photograph, especially when we're, we're, we're telling stories. You know, and it became really important for me to ask that same question within this space and for this specific story and that question is what is important for us to take away from this what is it that you want people to understand about you in this moment in your line of work and sometimes that takes a little bit of time because it's it's sort of a uh, you know you'll, you'll initially get the individual putting forth what they you think what they, you know how they want to project themselves or what they think you want to hear. but you know I think within this space there was often there was a narrative that the uh, that the hospital group was trying to push, which I don't think was an unfair narrative. but I also think that when you are suddenly talking to a frontline soldier and you say, you know what what do you want me?" to see like what is important you and I are standing here in this moment and it's intense for us and the public obviously can't see this so what do you want them to see and would you and can you please show me and help me help me to see that that sort of unlocked a lot of um, you know unlocked a lot of doors and it really helped with me like forwarding the forwarding the story because otherwise I I was sort of feeling around in the dark or also being blocked by certain gatekeepers within the process.
1: Yeah I wanted to ask you about time in those situations as well because I feel like sometimes when you're on those kinds of assignments you kind of have to manipulate time because everything's happening so fast and you normally have a limited amount of time to be in those spaces and so you're constantly trying to ensure that you get those critical moments and did you even have time to think while you
0: were working. Honestly, no, no, it was, you know, and and most of the, you know, in most of these, you know, we were in the hospitals, we were bouncing from department to department and everyone was, their time was, you know, their time was limited. And so we were being moved along from department to department really quickly. And so, and that included the moments that were, you know, the spaces that were really important to the story. And so there wasn't at times any time to think. You were just grabbing what you could and also trying to pay attention to what would make a powerful picture. There wasn't time to like sit around and and wait for these sort of moments to unravel or like you'd see a certain scene that you wanted to sit on for a while but um you just you just simply couldn't because it didn't allow it so you would just grab what you could it was a really tricky shoot it required it it required all of my experience in in photography and and photographing and it was a combination of a a ton of shoots i'd done before all uh, difficult shoots i'd done before all mixed into one bag of a tricky, a tricky assignment. Truly, it required everything, every skill set I, I think I had learned.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you kind of touched upon, we and, and for you as well, like prior to going into that hospital, you had a very mediated experience of the crisis in many ways, just like the rest of the public did, right? We were all living through the coverage. Mm. But then you obviously ended up seeing that firsthand and, and, and kind of taking us along with you on that journey. And one of the things that I thought was so poignant was that Cathy Ryan described the assignment afterwards as a kind of type of war photography, you know, in terms of all the things that you just said you were dealing with and juggling and the, the devastation that the hospitals were, were feeling. It's it's kind of one of those things that it's sort of hard to describe in words, really.
0: It, it was, that's for sure.
1: Do you feel like that assignment changed how you think about photography or kind of assignment work in any way?
0: Not so much. Not so much. I mean, it I felt just lucky to do that. And, you know, the reader the reader response was incredible. And, you know, I think we did, you know, the healthcare workers that we had met justice. And I it of anything, it just it was a it reinforced my love for that medium. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't change my my way of feeling about it in a negative way. I just I it was it was a moment of success. Looking back on it, and just knowing all of the obstacles that we had to overcome in order to get it to the page, like say what you will about the photography. Say what you will about the execution of the, or, you know, the choice and subject matter, or, you know, whether or not you liked the aesthetic of the photos, or if you even like the, you know, if the photos were shit. What I am proud of is, looking back on it, is th- that shoot was really set up for failure, just as a shoot, just as an editorial, like, assignment that, you know, we were so limited in who we could photograph. We were extremely limited in time and the space. You couldn't see through the camera. You know, deadlines were slamming right up against us. It was a fact-checking nightmare. It was a legal nightmare. Like, all of these things that go into cooking up a magazine. Um, I, at the end of it, to see it on the page, we, I, I, was, I was so proud of the work. And the reader response was incredible, especially from the healthcare community. Um, and my mom's a nurse practitioner too and in a lot of ways it was it was a nod to the work that she's done throughout her career as well. Um
1: and so in, in that
0: regard it's it's it it just reinforced my love for for the craft when when you can execute a story like that.
1: Your lighting is such an important part of your authorship and I think one of the reasons why those pictures both successfully captured the extreme devastation of COVID-19 but also made it possible for the viewer to metabolise them was that they had this kind of classical quality. You managed to find kind of a a stillness within the chaos
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and how did you guys navigate that additional element of lighting in such a fast-paced and clinical environment?
0: It sounds perhaps trickier than it than it was, um you know, as I said at the at the top of our conversation, when I photograph, I'm not subtle. My technique is often just introducing the situation that is me right off the right off the bat. you know it's not this sort of like gradual warm up sometimes it is, but I think especially in spaces like this, you know, we just we kind of got to work and if anyone had any objections, you would sense it. But so what you have to understand, and I'm sure you know, and I'm sure all of the listeners are well aware of, that you know, hospital lighting is <laughs> it's the most clinical lighting possible. It's really flat and just really quite horrible. Um, but necessary for, for the work, right? But you know, I already use I already interject just like I interject a bit of light into the pictures that I make in general. But for this it was it was really important to do so because the the for starters, again, I we, I have to I have to say like we weren't able to photograph any patients, nor were we able to photograph any of the healthcare workers who had not agreed to be photographed. So our options were really limited. And so, if anybody was in the background by some chance, we couldn't use the photograph at all. And so, it was almost necessary for me to then isolate the subjects that we had outlined in the, at the at the beginning of the shoot, using using certain ways of uh, crafting and, and shaping light. And you know, when you when you look at the photography, it can it can feel potentially that that light is a little bit crass and may have been distracting to the, you know, the doctors and the nurses who were, you know, completely overwhelmed. But it's, it's it, it, you know, you'd be surprised. It's like at times we would turn the light a little bit lower or no one would really pay us any mind because they had, you know, they had a, a lot bigger of a situation on their hands. And it was their their world. It was their domain. Had our way of working light or even the way that I was physically moving been a problem, we would have heard about it very quickly. They were saving lives. (laughs) and If anything got in their way, they would have very quickly barked in a way that uh, I would have absolutely respected and adhered to. And, you know, there were times where doctors were like, dude, you got to get out of the way. And it was it was that you know it was that clear and simple. But they knew why we were there. Everyone's sort of working together, and I've been in that context a, a, a number of times. Um, whether that's with stories around the police or paramedics or anyone who's doing work, you get barked at, and you know there's an understanding that that's just kind of what goes with it, and that's part of just reading the room and being being empathetic.
1: Hmm. Another part of the assignment was the work you did at the funeral home in the Bronx which was s- such an emotionally loaded space I imagine and one where those boundaries between kind of personal and private are unclear and obviously there's such privilege in being asked to document those moments. How did you kind of ground yourself in those shoots because it's it's a lot to ask for a photographer to to work in those spaces.
0: I don't know how to necessarily answer that. I it's my job. I feel really passionate about telling these types of stories. And and it. it, I, I just felt a very sincere responsibility to. You know, follow the story of COVID in New York all the way through and, you know, what I had saw in the hospitals, this was the sort of unfortunate next iteration of the story, and it was looking at how many lives had been lost to COVID nineteen. And at the time when we were working on it, you know, the the death toll was up to twenty thousand in New York City. And so, for, yeah, for me, it's just it was it was responsibility to the story, and I felt I, I really felt privileged to be to be. Telling the story overall, and then also be getting to explore and look at it that that um, you know that intensely and that thoroughly.
1: Yeah, I feel like the pictures that you made at Sal and Nick's funeral home really convey the urgency of the crisis in a way that the hospital work couldn't. Those images are kind of like nothing else that I've seen in terms of the coverage of the crisis and i wondered now you know several months later do you feel like you've metabolized those experiences or or do you think you will ever metabolize those experiences or or like you said earlier is this just kind of what you feel like is part of the role of a photojournalist
0: yeah i think it's i th- i think it's a mixture of all three but mostly i think it's the role of a documentary photographer um i don't know if i necessarily see my work as as photojournalism right um i really see that my my work lives in the documentary space so with that being said i i do just feel that that's sort of what comes with the territory a little bit you know and i have done the best that i can to build up a like ways of coping with and dealing with these sort of you know emotionally intense photographic experiences. And I'm not saying I have it dialed and I haven't had my fair share of um, struggles after working on that story, but it materializes in a different way. You know, I think back on that time and I think back, I think about how touched I was by how hard those men and women were working, you know, even at the funeral home, it was almost more of an urgent seen there or perhaps perhaps equally urgent there were f- there at, at this funeral home at the Ferenga brothers funeral home their phones were ringing off the hook with families begging them to please take the bodies of their loved ones and give them a proper burial because at the time there was there wasn't any room in the funeral homes and bodies were just stacking up in trailers and they were at their limit, completely stressed, maxed out. So for me, I just I felt very, I felt very touched by their story and how incredibly, um, you know, compassionate and brave and hardworking they were. Um, that I, I just I felt I left feeling a little bit more, perhaps inspired, I think, than I did. Scared. If that makes it, if that makes any sense, I'm not sure if it does. But I just I, I I channeled my subject strength a little bit, you know, and they were totally heroic and badass, really, and and did their job with focus and grace, and just yeah, I I, I applaud them. I found a lot of solace in in them actually.
1: To finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everyone at the end of the episode, and that's what matters more to you, the experience of making the work or the final photograph?
0: I think the experience of making the work, for me, it's obviously a tough question, as I'm sure everyone who's been posed this question by you has encountered, right? And it's obviously, you obviously are inclined to say both, but if I had to choose, I'd probably say the experience. The people that I come across in my shoots, I, I inherently find something to love in them, you know, even if they're objectively heinous people, you know, like, I, I think about, are, are dangerous for the world, per se, you know, I think about my experience in photographing Donald Trump, it was like, you know, I, he's, I, he's, he's obviously, it's a, it's a difficult dance, let's just say that, But were there endearing qualities to his personality? And was that really interesting to experience while making the work? Yes. And do I, at the end of that, find more value in the experience of making that picture than I do the actual outcome of the photo? Honestly, yeah, totally. I I hold on almost more to the memories of, of making the work and my interactions on the ground more than I do the the photograph that ends up in print or on the wall or in a book um, and I value them and I, I am a photographer and I I, I love photography but I think it, at my core the experiences are are very fulfilling and uh and enrich my life so much and I it and it's the the human experience of the type of work that I do that's that's really it's really special and I feel so lucky to do it.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been so good to have you on the podcast.
0: It is. It's been a total honour. It, it's I'm such a fan of the podcast. It's, it's, really, it's really great to do this. And, and thanks so much, Tim.
1: Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake. And design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at GemFletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.